Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructive Criticism. I am your host, Heezy, and I am here from 2007. Got the headband like a ninja, the eye patch like a pirate, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, a man who is holding back his laughter, Mason Clark. Oh, the ninja versus pirate thing I had forgotten about. That's a good bit. <laughs> I'm sorry you're the iPad, but that's a good way to intro it. And oh, Abe Stein, whose smile is from ear to ear. Actually, Abe, uh, we're getting awards today, and I'm already going to tell you yours. Um, oh, you, yeah? You're going to win uh, Best Smile on the podcast. If you, I think I do have probably the Best Smile on the podcast. I do have a pretty good smile. Um, no offense to you guys. I think you guys have great smiles too. But I think mine is especially good. Especially, it's like one of my best features. I'm not gonna lie. And if you want to check it out, listener, you can check out the YouTube if you really want to see it. I do smile at these. Holy cow! He's getting the always promoting reward there. Oh my goodness! Check out my good. smile. Two awards. <laughs> and uh, I just want to, you know, what makes me smile is our newest patrons. You can go over to Patreon.com/slash CCMTG and patron the show just like Christian May. Uh, or is it May or me? Do you guys think? I always pronounce that name. I also thought, thought it was me. All right. Well, I was right the first time. Uh, thank you so much. It means the world. What are you thinking right now, Mason? You're looking... I, I never thought that it could be any other way than the first way you said it, and now I was considering if I was wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> I definitely had a very awkward interaction with a, a drug rep at work. With the I said the last name like that, and I'm now I'm, I'm having sure a moment flashback. All right. I'm pretty sure I was right the first time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, we know I was improving this week because this week is about the ways that we improved in 2022. We don't want to do it all throughout the... We're going to do it all throughout the episode. So uh, this week is going to be a shorter episode for those listening and watching. And we know people are busy this time of year. We're actually recording episodes back to back today to make it really easy on ourselves, really easy on the listeners. Um, but before we do that, we want to get into some housekeeping. We've been getting lots of orders at store.gglehigh.com. The referral link is actually in the show notes to, to support us directly. Uh, and sometimes I forget to say that you can get 10% off using the code CCMTG10. Uh, and I shouldn't forget that because it's a great deal. It's They already have all the cards that you could want. Um, they're an amazing sponsor. The first uh, four rounds of the... One of the one kids will be up on our YouTube channel after this, after either tonight or tomorrow morning, and the rest will be up tomorrow for the last tournament we did coverage for. They're an amazing place. And then also, we already got some people buying from our swag store. Swag store is also in the show notes. If you want to rep CCMTG with a t-shirt, if you have a desk that you need a desk mat for, um, you know, don't waste your valuable play mats on your desk. Get one full size. Covers your whole desk to rep CCMTG. Or we got notepads glassware, tons of things over at the swag store. Uh, the, that link is also in the show notes. But let's get right into the meat and potatoes of the episode. My family's a meat and potatoes this time of year type of family. I don't know about you guys, but I last night I had meat and potatoes. Uh, what, are you, what about you, Mason? You meat and potatoes guy? Uh, we had a ham and some casseroles. You Potato know. casserole? No, we had broccoli and corn casserole. Oh, and that's right. You're from the South. You guys do those corn casseroles. Yeah. Okay. And don't forget the deviled egg. It's my my what? favorite food. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But what yeah, is yeah. what is what is Hanukkah food uh, typically? Gabe? I actually don't uh, know so we do have it's it's things usually fried in olive oil. Olive oil is like the specific food you're supposed to like make sure you use a lot, and frying in it is especially the way to do it. So latkes, which are like potato pancakes, yeah, um, usually a mix of like potato flour and then like shredded potato and like some onion and stuff, and like nice in patties. That's the food of the holiday. You can put some some applesauce, 
you're good to go. You put applesauce really, on it. Yeah, yeah. You like you like dipping in applesauce, oh, nice, whatever. Cool. But yeah, you get you get the you get the sweet applesauce on like the oily, fatty, nice, nice, nice potato latke. That is that is chef's kiss. That is that's as good as it comes. If you're doing anything else during Hanukkah, you should reconsider. All right, now we know. Now we know. Uh, let's go into our trading. This is gonna be lessons learned to, during 2022. Uh, lesson learned for me is that I haven't had enough latke in my life. We're going to start with you, Abe, today. Um, what did you learn throughout 2022 in Magic or Life? Yeah, so probably the biggest takeaway for me uh, this year, because this was my first time having a job that was not some way related to Magic. Like, I was either a student and then, like, playing SCGs, doing content, uh, writing articles, or working for card shops for, like, the last five or six years, um, is how much different it is having my time split between like you know things i can't take away from or like can't focus on magic during or even like tangentially focus on magic during and how that's really affected my process i found myself in a lot of spots this year like even just the basic scramble to put together or like borrow a deck source the cards that i need um was really more taxing than it should have been and made it really hard for me to prepare for the few events that i was able to play and i also found that my range that i was playing in tournaments was feeling really limited by the fact I couldn't invest as much time into learning new decks as I used to. And so um, really just those, those aspects of time management and how many of like the little things that I was previously able to take for granted because I had such a surplus of time to, to involve with magic. Like if I was working at a card shop, it wasn't a big deal for me to like spend the time while it was slow, like pulling the cards I know I'm going to need for the weekend if I'm borrowing them or um, like, you know, spend that, spend some time talking with people about matchups or whatever on Facebook while I'm doing other things. So it's like, now that I don't have that, really figuring out a process and updating myself to do that is going to be going to be something I definitely want to focus on for 2023. Um, but outside of like that, which is kind of a, a more real life thing, something that I've really started to do only this year that has been really helpful to me actually came from, I'm going to sound like Spencer here, came from something I remember learning about evaluating neutral in fighting games, especially in Smash, in who is, like, because it's, it's pretty nebulous who's, like, actually, when in Smash, it's, like, based on where people are and what they're doing, who's actually ahead in an in interaction, whose turn it is to, to go in. Um, and the way it was described in, in this video was that it's um, who's favored by, like, like, a slight advantage position, you know, like, an advantage position, um, but it's kind of like these degrees of favored or unfavored more than it is um, like, you know, a percentage of who's favored or whatever. And also it had to do with kind of what the sets of options that each player had in those positions were. And so think about that in the terms of magic, um, when it comes to talking about matchups, one of the conversations I hate having the most with most players is like, how do you feel about this matchup? Because people often say like, oh, it's like a 60-40 matchup. It's like a 55-45 matchup. It's like all these things don't really mean a lot or the numbers don't really say a lot. And it really, it's hard to have that conversation for me anyway. And boiling it down into and thinking about matchups that I'm playing or how I'm trying to approach them in terms of, okay, what are the options that are available to um, to like this deck in order to combat what the other deck's doing or to like deck B versus deck A? really changed the way that I have thought about and approached evaluating the matchups that I'm thinking about and also discussing them with people in a way that really changed um, 
like a lot of how I was thinking about and like actually able to talk about uh, and make decisions about like metagaming and stuff. So that, that was like a really big one for me. I think something you hinted at at kind of the beginning of that little piece that I really like that you talked about. I don't remember if you talked about it on the bonus episode or, or actually during an always improving segment a few weeks ago. But you you kind of talked about it here on like understanding individual interactions and how they impact the game moving forward and that individual positioning. And that is definitely something that fighting game, specifically Smash, taught me this year. Um, and something that you have to think about a lot, like when you're playing a deck like Mono Blue in Standard, for example, it's actually really important to actually break turns down that way. Because uh, we talk a lot on the, the show about pivot turns in whether you're playing control or whether you're, you know, whether you're the beatdown or not. And that actually comes from those moments of those individual interactions of getting you closer to being able to pivot or getting you into a better defensive position, right? And magic, that's the way you, you think about it. But it's the same concept. Um, I think that what Abe just said there is like important to think about like how many opportunities do I have in a given game? that these moments are made up of to then just dictate how the overall match plays out. is kind of really important to the listener here. Yeah. And when you're able to apply that to like how a specific matchup will play out based on what those opportunities are and how many of them there are, like a thing for me that I talk about a lot is like when you're playing hammer against Murktide, the games where you have Esper Sentinel or Urza Saga just change the dynamic so, so much because they're what make it an advantage position for you. You are going to have really, really good exchanges available to you from the beginning of the game if you have one of those cards in your opening hands. And like that is what inherently makes the matchup favored for you is that when you know that and you do that, those games, which are a majority of the hands you're keeping anyway, you're going to be punishing the rest of the inherent like structure that's good for you in that matchup. The same way that against like, you know, Money Pile, you were really far behind as Hammer because so many of their good draws and their good hands where they were just like, yeah, I'm going to like play a removal spell, set up my mana, cast it to fairy or like cast a run in six, cast it to fairy. Those games, that's naturally what they want to do. And that's naturally very good against you. And so, um, you know, bringing that down to, okay, those different paths, so many of them tightening off your options versus being kind of in the middle, using that to evaluate matchups and really talking about what's going on as opposed to like, oh, it just it's like good or bad, um, in like a numeric sense. Really, I think was uh, was a big one for me. Um, another thing from playing Hammer Time this year, especially during the Money Pile format, actually, was working more on building my decks to attack from both the macro level and the micro level. So what I mean by that is like. Um, there was a point where it kind of looked like no one in the hive mind of playing Hammer was really doing a lot of work on the small level exchanges and, and really positioning their deck to be built in a way that worked against a lot of the things. And like it was leap, like still playing things like Mem Knight into a bunch of Renin Sixes. You know, play like for me, changing my deck over to playing Ornithopters, making sure my entire game plan was around insulating myself against the cards that actually mattered on the micro perspective in order to take advantage of the fact that the hammer time deck was good in the macro perspective and constructing a way that did both was something that I hadn't really done before. Um, a lot of times decks, I was usually someone who would grab a list, play with it, tune it, change some sideboard cards, you know, maybe pick one or two things in the main deck, but really working with the small numbers and um, 
and thinking about those play patterns. And I think that's kind of the common theme for me this year is that as I was playing less and forced to think more and not even just think more about like taking in a lot of data and looking at like what people are doing and synthesizing the information that's out there, really taking the time to work with the information I had to make a conclusion because so much more of my time was like, I'm not going to get a lot of playing five or six matches more. I should really spend this time thinking about how I'm constructing my deck when for the tournaments I am playing. Um, really led itself to me doing that for kind of like the first time uh, consistently in my process. And that was, that was a really, really big one for me this year too. Do you think the fact that your range was forced to be more strict and, you know, whether you like that or not, do you think that has to play a big part in this? Cause normally maybe you would have adapted and you would have been able to do things and you just been like, listen, I'm going to sit down and play the money pile deck instead, or I'm going to do like this other deck instead, but you're forced to kind of, I don't have time to put that in. I know hammer. Maybe I can do things to fix that. Do you think that's a symptom of this other thing that happened with your time and everything? Or do you think that's more of just a coincidence? Yeah, I mean, that definitely could be. It could be a thing where that necessity being a thing for the first time really gave me the opportunity to work with my skill set to kind of, you know, try to solve these problems in a different way than I had before. Like, you're right. Traditionally before, what I would have done is just spent a bunch of hours, you know, grinding out the money pile because um, it was the best deck and like, you know, picking it up or, you know, playing creativity or something that had a good money pile matchup instead and really putting in the hours to understand my other angles attack and putting down a deck that had a pretty unfavorable position as opposed to kind of working with what I was used to in this way that maybe I didn't have the tools to the last time that I really was in that position um, and with the other things I've learned doing that. So yeah, definitely could be that. Um, and I would say that I definitely feel like I am more equipped to do even better in the times where I'll have adapted my process such that I will be able to be more flexible and invest the time in the way that I used to before or um, get those same results and the ability to to kind of swap around and move between decks as much as I would like to at times to seriously compete. Um, but now with a better understanding of like what that can look like in a really good process. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, but, but that's that's 2022 for me. What about you, Mason? Yeah, so uh, the the first thing that kind of jumps out that like I, you know, learned 2022 and hopped out is sort of deck building and specifically like tweaking and tuning a deck. And it's kind of how Abe just mentioned, you know, structurally switching the deck from like Mimnite's Ornithopter, I think is a really good way of like describing like, okay, Ren and Six is a problem for the hammer deck. This is a, a way I can sort of make some small concessions and it's not, you know, strictly worse by any means. It's just different. Right. And I'm beating Ren and six. So maybe it's even better and doing things like that. I think are small, good decisions. And there's thing that if you play a lot of standard, you're actually really used to having happen, right? Like if you play standard, you're going to switch up your counter spells, your interaction spells, your threats that happens, you know, on a bi-weekly basis at the minimum, you know, and in healthy formats, sometimes daily when it comes to Modo. Uh, and in modern, that doesn't happen as much because there's so much going on that it's really hard to shift your deck and sort of stay on, not only stay on top of things, but not stumble and mess up and like over metagame for one spot or another. And like, it's really easy to hyper-focus on just the best decks. It's really easy to hyper-focus on the nonsense and want to go super linear. And um, with Money Pile this year, specifically for deck building, I feel like I really kind of hit my stride of learning things over the last, excuse me, I'm not sure, I guess it's, five years now of competitive magic um and kind of putting those things into practice and getting to like you know 
see when someone does something and figure out if it's good or not and add to the deck. So like I think that the big example I think of is like Ellen Bogan played, I want to say one or two dress downs in his main deck of Money Pile. And then I put three in my deck and another one in the sideboard before Dallas uh for DreamHack. And like that was like a big part of winning and it was like a really helpful card. And like that was a big innovation. And then like those numbers and things changed throughout the entire time from when Leyline Binding was printed to having unholy heat versus lightning bolt to having, you know, counterspell versus Dobin's veto, but a little bit in 2021 there. And all of those little things, I think I was really good at sort of identifying what uh was mattering and then doing it in a way that was like making adjustments that were helpful and i think the thing that i sort of when i look back on that and i'm like okay but how does that help listeners and how is that like helpful the the biggest thing that i sort of got is you cannot in my opinion i'm curious to hear what y'all say about this too you cannot over adjust everything to like what's happening and you have to remember that the world moves really slowly and like, like we talk about with modern, like the same reason why it's harder to like this, it's a lot about making small changes and picking your battles and less about trying to like re- reinvent the wheel week in, week out. And I, I think that was like a big thing and will be, I think, really helpful going forward as well. But I sort of solidified this year. So, yeah, I think I think that uh, there are very few formats these days that move at a pace in which changing daily to weekly is like it major changes is super helpful but instead um you know actually i i also want to say though before i get into this point i think that money pile specifically the type of deck and the way that you built it was very good at adjusting one or two cards to have a high impact because of the way the deck was built so it also leaned into that and I, I want to make that clear because of how Money Pile was constructed, that it helped. Because, um, like, if I put... So, for example, like, I'm a huge advocate for a one of Brazen Borrower and Petty Theft in Merktide because it, it, it becomes a catch-all that you can, you can get to. But that one of... I'm going to see it, like, you know, 20% of games. Whereas if you put a one of Emrakul in your deck, you're going to see it every game you want to see it in Money Pile. And those were really different... Uh, experiences however I think that the the same thing is true where like deciding how you want to build your deck and uh, in the form of like kind of kind of more on a micro level for the weekend but making sure that you understand and are built for the macros overall I think that's kind of what you're saying is at least what I'm listening to and I, I just completely agree I think that that's just the way modern has been for a while um, and because of the types of decks in modern, I don't see a way that it could change. Yeah, I think uh, like to your point about what you're saying about the things that you did with MoneyPod, which we're all like, we talked a lot about things where I was like, does this even make like the margin that you're thinking about? Does that really add up in the way? Like I remember us having like a pretty long conversation on the phone about like, Dude, like the the last fluster storm or whatever, is this the the one fluster versus like the one veil? Like, does this even really matter at all? Like, are you really overthinking? It just doesn't make sense to me. But then, like, in thinking about, well, it does matter on the margin, and it does add up over the games, and it does matter in a deck like that where when you see that card because of the redundancy that you have, it does things like the way that, um making those small decisions adds up 
to the big like result was actually like a big inspiration to a lot of the work that I did on mine. I was just talking about with Hammer of like, it's the same thing, right? It's taking the micro of, it's taking the macro of the games and applying the micro of the cards to that, that really like is such a hard thing to do, especially in a format that's as broad as modern. I think that Money Pile was like a very unique and kind of probably why it was such a problematic to some people um, like canvas as a deck builder to use because it was just a deck that saw a bunch of cards, generic did generically good things, and then really the tools you were using were the most important thing in the way you construct your deck. And I felt like you were very on top of all the tools for the format all the time in a way that like you, you had to really just be prepared to do that. And that was like something really impressive. I just wanted to praise you on. Yeah, you people were trying to be all watercolor and you use that canvas much more as like stencil art and i think that it was it was the the precision of that was was magnifique thank you yeah uh you know i'll I'll talk about that a little bit i you know thank you for the praise about money pile don't worry i'll be not humble in a little while but uh working efficiently is the other thing too because i mean like so this is this is like the sort of the cat of the bag thing that i've been mentioning coaching a bunch um and i would talk to people about is that like I, you two know, but like if I were to ask people and, you know, just take a second to think about it, if you know how much money pile and how much of like a like kind of impact I had on the deck and the effects and the sways and like conversations about it, how much magic online do you think I played with that deck? And, you know, like how much do you think I was playing money pile and grinding it? And if you answered anything greater than five leagues over the course of the year, you were incorrect. You know, I played five leagues and two of them were at the start of the year. I know it was back to back because I was playing with Jesse. And so, uh, I didn't play a bunch of the deck, but I worked efficiently. And this is something that I think I've been pretty good at the past, but this year it really struck home. And I really sort of in the same way of like understanding deck building kind of hitting a stride where like, it sort of feels natural unless like, these are things I'm actively thinking about and having to do working and like thinking through problems and sort of solving problems without jamming my head into a wall has been a really big part of 2022 and sort of just instead of like, oh, I'm going to play a league for like an hour to figure these problems out. It's like, no, I'm going to spend like 35, 40 minutes thinking about the format and looking at things and sort of just like sort of draw those conclusions from wherever. And, you know, like I'm going to come to conclusions and then I'm going to focus test problems if I'm going to if I'm going to test it all. This is, I think last, that's a this is literally the last episode that I did before I left the show. It was solution and problem based thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a really important concept. People people need to learn this lesson if they want to become better at deck building, better at tournament preparation, better at, like, the, to gain the efficiencies that Mason's talking about. Um, problem, problem and solution thinking is, like, it is the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. It, if I can just say, like, the, like, I, I'm the same way. I, I talk a lot about how I offer hammer coaching. I coach, I coach a lot of things, you know, I play hammer really well and I play a decent amount of hammer and paper, but much like Mason, I think this year or like in the last like three months, I played like two leagues to make sure that right before coaching sessions, I would be fresh to what I was doing and thinking about mulligan and stuff. But like, if not for that, you really can have these results and really can get to a point of understanding the games well enough 
without playing a ton of matches. It's not a prerequisite to play a ton of matches to know what you're talking about and understand what you're doing, but you have to really be working efficiently and thinking about things efficiently. Like, the Ornithopter and, like, Blue and Black Splash build of Hammer that I played during the Money Pile era literally came to me in a dream. And then I built it, like, that day and played it at a tournament. Like, obviously, it's not always going to come to you in a dream, but it's not always the case. I think a lot of people, when they think about improving they think about the action that they're doing when it comes to like they're playing magic to get better at magic and it really is super not like that and i you know i think you did a great job of it this year and it's like such a good skill um but i, I really appreciate you bringing up that specifically because i know that's something that a lot of people get wowed by and it, it really is important to hammer home. yeah yeah at a certain point your time in to like playing games so what you're going to get out when you're just jamming versus random things and not focus testing with stronger players or players who are your strongest you have access to is going to diminish rapidly. And if you're feeling that happen to you now, maybe you feel you're stuck in a rut. This is something that I would highly suggest working on. Uh, I didn't write this point down, but it kind of came up from us talking. So I'm going to add this one in here. It's a surprise one for you too. Uh, and this is a lesson learned in 2022 just from coaching. Um, and I, I did a bunch of coaching in 2022. I'd done some coaching in the past and stuff like that, but it was much more like a, you know, infrequent thing but it has regularly become a part of my daily life now and um the thing that i learned from coaching is and this one i think is so important for the listeners too is that everyone's at like a different spot with learning and everyone learns so differently which are things that i knew intuitively and if you had asked me to answer those questions is that true i would have said yes but i wasn't actively thinking about because my experience with working with players had gone to the point where it's almost always people around my skill level where like these guys you know we're like maybe they're better than me maybe they're a little worse than me whatever but like we're all still kind of here and for a lot of people they're still trying to like as one of my uh coaching people described it she said you're trying to teach me about like the triangle formation in soccer and i'm like just getting dribbling down and like we need to work on dribbling and i was like oh that's such a good point you know like i need to do better at this and understanding that like not everyone understands these things and there's this huge mental load of things with magic and we like assume a lot of things here on the podcast and you know i brought this up in meetings before it's like hey like we need to be careful about the sort of references and things we use because we assume and i think fairly that at some point you kind of just have to learn these things and maybe you have to research it if we mention it but like also for a lot of people some things are going to be brand new and we have a whole new wave of magic players coming in from people started playing during arena during COVID and now they're coming out and playing magic tournaments, you know, and they don't have that wealth of knowledge in like vernacular. And so anyways, the, the, the main point from this lesson learned is that everyone's at a different spot and that's awesome. And it's okay to be at a different place and have to learn and think about things differently. It doesn't make you wrong or right. Where often I think a big thing that I thought about, especially at the start of 2022, but in 2021, a thing that I would say a lot to people is, I think I think about magic really differently than my peers or than others would be a thing that I say. I, I think I had this conversation with both of you at some point um, at, di at different times, but it was like, I would, the way I see and think about things is different. Even when I have conversations with y'all sometimes. And also like, I will just think of things in these sort of hyperbolic examples that I, but like I self-correct internally, but when I say it out loud, it's like not there. So like if I describe Lanor Elf as a time walk, people start losing their mind, but like it puts you ahead of turn. And like, that's what I'm thinking about. It's like being up a man and be able to do things sooner. And so 
anyways, it's just to say there's a lot of different ways to do things and learn. And Magic's super awesome for that. And I want to keep that in mind going forward in 2023 for like, I'm going to learn things in weird ways and also in unique ways and different ways. And the same for listeners. And I want to make sure to help facilitate that every way I can. So that was a 2023 lesson learned for me or 2022 lesson learned. There's uh, not much to talk about there, I guess, but whatever. <laughs> Spencer, do you have something you want to say? No, no, go ahead. Okay. And then the last one, I, I put clutching with a bunch of G's. And uh, the, the main part about this is basically that, like, at a certain point in Magic, uh, and, like, a lot of people are just like, oh, I'd be really happy if I top eight, and then we'll figure it out from there. And, like, my big overall goal with Magic is to be better than, you know, the me that played the last tournament. And that hopefully at the end of it, I can look back all the way back to the beginning and laugh at just how bad I was and how much I improved and still how far I could have gone if I had, you know, maybe more time or more whatever or whatever. But I just want to see how far I can move up the totem pole. That's, like, the big sort of goal. Um, but part of that is you can be really good at Magic and never, like, win a tournament or, like, qualify for the PT. Like, those things are possible. Uh, but it helps and it like it is important to remember that like while having good consistent results is good, you should strive to want to win and to want to like put like when you have the chance to win a tournament, you only have those couple of chances, right? Even if you're some of the best players, you aren't given all these opportunities to win tournaments and win things you care about. And I got to requalify for the pro tour, which I was very excited about via the RC in Atlanta, uh, in a situation where honestly, like deck building and working efficiently were two things that saved me because I was not able to prepare in the way that I would love to for that event. And I just had real life and work obligations that made me unable to really test and huge shout out for Jesse for putting in a lot of legwork and talking to me on the phone for like 40 minutes every day and just sort of, you know, dumping everything she learned over the course of the day to me. Uh, But like winning things and like just basically never giving up and never being satisfied is what I mean by clutching. And I think that's a really important thing that I had started to learn and grasp at the end of 2019, where it's like, you have these opportunities, don't waste them or whatever. And then without playing a bunch of tournaments during 2020, 2021, I had sort of lost sight of it again, but I've relearned in 2022 where it is. You only have these few shots when you make the top eight, wherever be hungry, go for the win, be excited. And, you know, I had a lot of like pretty good to, you know, actually good results. And it was just good. It was important to know. And it's a thing where it can be really, sometimes you don't learn that lesson until you've kind of stubbed your toe in the top eight or whatever. And you look back and you're like, wow, I wasn't trying my hardest. And hopefully I can skip that for a listener. And their first top eight or whatever can be the one where they're already, you know, when to clutch up and win. So that's my lesson, my final one here for 2022. I love that. Yeah. Also, for a guy that said he was going to be not humble, you were actually pretty humble during that segment. So, Oh, did you want to talk about how My Money Pile was the only list ever win in paper? And oh, here we go. Bad, and I just won all this I need money. Change, I need to change these awards. <laughs> I, I got to change this this award segment that's coming up. All right. Oh, Mason's crazy for playing Endurance. I'm, He's the only one who wins. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go next. Um... Man, I'm like, so I, in front of me, I have all the episodes we did this year because I wanted to make sure that I had a timeline during this segment. And this year is crazy, guys. Um, just just for context, um, our first or our second episode of the year 
was how to win your 1K. That was this year, Abe. Mind-boggling, I know. That's that's insane. There's no... <laughs> that was our... I thought that happened in, like, 2020, probably. <laughs> that, was, that was a millennia ago. And it's get it's crazy. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some knowledge. March 10th, talk about clutching up. March 10th was always be improving. The story behind hashtag always improving. Episode 400. Uh, Day after my birthday. Yeah. April 2nd, the return of the Pro Tour. Big one. I, I can we take a second to talk about that? Changed yeah, magic please do. Again like because it's gonna envelop like, a lot of my my, my, my I, segment here. I, I think, and this is all I'll say about it, I think that early on in COVID, uh, early on into like, I should say this year, the COVID stuff was still trying to get figured out and magic tournaments. And basically it was NRG with their, I would argue, really good COVID protocol. Um, and like, that was it. And that was all that tournament magic really was. There were some SCG cons, but they weren't what they were before. And there's all the beef there. And the return of the Pro Tour, uh, I wouldn't say it saved Magic because I think Magic could have gone a little while before it was in trouble competitively, but it really relit a fire under, I think, basically everyone and saved, I would argue, a lot of streamers and content creators and really kind of pushed formats like Pioneer forward so much. Because if you look at Pioneer from when that announcement happened to just a month later to two months later without a set being released at that time, it is night and day how different everything looks. So, um, yeah, huge. Yeah, I don't know if Abe has any thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean that that announcement single handedly changed the way that I had planned to engage with Magic from the start of the year. It was it was huge and and absolutely is shaping the way that I'm engaging with Magic in 2023. Yeah, it, it's it's been a weird year for Magic, and I wanted to highlight that like just you know how different our whole year could have been, and um a little behind the scenes like uh. Last month during our podcast meeting, I told these guys that, um, well, like 70% of all of our listens on Spotify ever since we got on Spotify happened in the last three months. And I don't think that happens without this change, without like, like when, uh, shortly after I left the show for the time, the year that I, the, the eight months or so that I left. The, the world ended, right? Like, and so, like, like we went from this successful Magic the Gathering podcast by every metric to, like, why would I listen to a Magic about getting better at competitive Magic? And, um, I don't know. It, it, it does not feel that way anymore. Um, so for me as a player, though, not just as a co-host, there were a couple things that had to happen this year. One, back to basics and paper. I mean, mechanically this is um people often ask like what are mechanics and let me tell you if you're missing a bunch of triggers like i was at the start of rcqs and like all this stuff this is something that people used to make fun of mtgo play like grinders a lot for is they would have bad mechanics in paper they would miss their triggers they would have to call a judge every three seconds because of the draw step problem or like you know all kinds of stuff and i as an arena and mtgo player for the last you know however long had to adjust. Um, and I, I think that it's important to get back to like, okay, remembering to put my dice on top of my deck. That's something that I used to do. Remembering to 
um, you know, to be to speak clearly and concisely around different things that are affecting and happening within the game state and, um, you know, making sure if I don't know what a card does to actually read it, uh, like just really basic stuff that I needed to force myself. It, what was really hard for me, and I don't know if other people had the same problem, is that I was top-ending all those PPT, all those uh, RCQs still. Like I played in two RC, three RCQs the first season. I think I top-ended three RCQs. It was like, well, I don't know, like I'm still doing it. Like it's still happening for me. You know, I'll just break through one of these. But that wasn't the story of the event for me. The story of the event was you're missing triggers. The story of the event is you're, you know, you're, you're giving up edges um, and having to fix my mechanics. Uh, and it goes into my next thing about just not being lazy about magic. Um, one thing that the 1Ks that I had been having success at had, had happened for me was it was so easy to player diff people to win some cash that it it made me pretty lazy that I could turn on the jets when the matchup became important and then player diff everyone else. And I think that um, one of the things that happened because of that is my practice specifically got super lazy. Um, and this is something that I talked about in the Patreon discord um, this week, which is like, I posted a screenshot of, I think I had like, I don't even know how many lands, but I was like, I just want the, the Patreon to know, like, I won this game. And I would, this would not have been a game that I would have played out or won recently. Um, but I'm forcing myself to be less lazy in practice. And the reason for that is because I, uh, one of my goals that I was had for the last couple of months was getting comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Those moments where I would typically just easily be able to hit the concede button on Arena and move on to the next game, those don't exist in the tournaments I care about. That's not a situation that I'm in. So don't treat games like that, because that's not a thing for me. Um, and kind of combining those three things really have helped me get back into what I would call fighting form for Magic, where I feel pretty strongly about understanding the standard format right now, I feel pretty strongly about uh, understanding sequencing in that format. And now I'm going to move on to Pioneers. It's Pioneer season again. And like really focusing on the things that I can do and applying that in other formats and in other situations to be less lazy, to make sure that I'm resolving my triggers. And it's it sounds so simple, but like after two years of that, and actually... For those who don't know, I actually took a year off of Magic. When I left the show, I actually quit Magic, sold all my Magic cards. Um, I wasn't even playing Arena or anything. So there was a lot of laziness uh, in my return that I had to catch up on. And then my last one is uh, I asked I asked Abe actually how to write this uh, before the show started because I think that people discount this a lot and which is funny because I don't think they discount it with other games. Like we hear people talk about chess and poker and all this, but it was uh, lateral thinking with smash. And I think smash has taught me more about magic this year than my games of magic have in a lot of ways in understanding core concepts that maybe I was pretty bad at because I didn't have to focus on them the way that I have to focus on them in smash. Um, you know, we talked about one of them earlier in understanding interactions and I actually think that one's one of the bigger ones is the value of an interaction 
in Magic can be really high or really low depending on the outcome. Like it might be, it might not matter at all, right? But sometimes it matters a lot and you don't always know. So treating each individual interaction as an opportunity to uh, position yourself uh, in, in the game of Magic is really important. And that is what fighting games are about. Um, and honestly, like even down to practicing and how I practice in Magic Smash is impacted. How the situations that I'll put myself in when practicing, the, all of that and this this ability to translate from Magic to Smash and Smash to Magic has legitimately made me a better player this year than I ever would have been had it just been Magic. Yeah, I I just want to say, and I really hope we get to do a full episode on this soon, because I think lateral thinking, for me at least, is like the skill that has propelled me the furthest in Magic, is my ability to take things I've learned from other situations and think about them in terms of Magic and then apply what I've yeah. learned about these other games or, or what I've learned about well, Magic to other things. It's true. Like it's I do just it all the like, time with Magic and my job. I do it all the time with my job and Magic. Like, right. That, that problem-based thing that we talked about earlier that came from doing problem discovery at work to solve problems in software. And I was like, well, this is just how you should solve a matchup problem in Magic. So keep keep going, though, Abe. Yeah, I, I just, like... If you think that it sounds like dumb or stupid that like you're learning that someone is bringing you a lesson they learned from doing something that wasn't playing magic about magic you should really evaluate why you think that's a bad idea because you're missing out on a billion edges in everything in your life that you're learning about and about how it works to apply the concepts that especially things you just think about or that come down to decisions that you are robbing yourself of the richest opportunities to learn about everything and that like so much is so transportable between those two. And I really hope we get an episode on it next year because it really is like just such a game changer. And I'm glad something that has really been helping you this year, as I know that Smash and Magic are two like really big competitive pursuits for you. And the fact that they're so linked in your development right now is like, I, I remember that with like, there were times where I was like chasing Hearthstone or like yeah. um, just other, other games that were like more directly intertwined, but the way that it all lines up and the things you learn are just, unbelievably like like accelerated developments in both areas yeah and i i expect yeah. uh go ahead i i was just gonna say that i i think it's really i, I agree with everything y'all just said that i just want to emphasize it's really dangerous to have instead of lateral thinking like kind of silo thinking where like this is how i think about magic and this is how i think about poker and this is how i think about smash and this is how i think about work and look around you in sort of the modern day and a lot of the reason we have the things we have are people sharing information and people learn things from different areas. And that got combined and added and combined and added. Right. And like, it was things that weren't related intertwining that led to like a bunch of big innovations. Like, yeah. you know, whatever I could go on for a while, but yeah, you should not be like, Oh, this thing isn't the thing I care about. So I can't learn from it. You should instead be thinking, how can this thing be something that can help yeah. me in this thing I care about? Absolutely. And, and honestly, like, I expect that to continue. Uh, Maxwell is getting super into Pokemon. He's learning to read. He wants to play the Pokemon TCG game. And, like, if there's a game that I can teach him about card advantage and what how powerful Wheel of Fortune is, like, that's the game to do it. And honestly, like, I think that um, it it this this way of thinking has always been something that I've done, but I've never tried to do it gaming-wise in multiple... I've never tried to compete in multiple games. Like... Um, 
it, it just hasn't been a thing for me, but it has given me a lot to think about um, this year that I really appreciate. So. That's awesome. That is going to do it for this week. Uh, you can check out the rest of the network, uh, drafting archetypes every week where Sam teaches you how to draft a different deck in a given format. Uh, the common knowledge podcast returns next year. They actually recorded some episodes that they thought that they were a little too rusty on. So they didn't hit the, hit the sound waves, but they did record yesterday and they're excited to be sharing content with you guys again. So that's about getting better at magic with a focus on popper. You can like sub and subscribe. Don't forget to review the show. If you head on over to Spotify, Spotify airs reviews now, uh, Apple podcasts, wherever you're listening. It's super helpful. You can find me at Spencer 13 H. You can also hit me up for coaching. I just want to give a shout out to those who reached out to me this last week. I know we've all been busy with the holidays, um, but um, the opportunities are coming in for me. I still have a lot of room. So if you're looking for coaching, I, uh, I would love to help you in a multitude of ways. Um, and then also check out the smash through podcast about getting better at smash through two guys who just have barely won their first pools games. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you can also check out the easy game media stuff over at the easy game media YouTube channel, as well as wherever you can find a podcast. What about you, Abe? Uh, you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. My DMs are still open for coaching, though I'm not going to be doing any coaching sessions until the start of the year. I probably have room to take on one or two more people. It's been uh, pretty booked up since I've I've reopened, and um, especially since winning in the RCQ the other week. Um, but, you know, I'd love to work with you on, on just helping you improve and, and working on your process from really any angle. So um, be sure to, to hit me up for that. How about you, Mason? Find me over on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. Find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You find me each and every week over at Card Kingdom. Every Thursday, I have some article coming out focusing on constructed format and, you know, something around that lines. And I believe this week is going to be the Pioneer tier list when you're hearing this episode. So that's really exciting. It is Pioneer season once again. New RCQ season starts in seven days, guys. Seven days. So seven days from the time they're hearing this. So get excited for that. And then if you want to reach out to me, you got a coach, you can try and make it work. I got some stuff coming up at the start of the year. But very interested in trying to make it happen so feel free to reach out to me there and that is about it and it is time for the first annual ccmtg award show Woo! Mm. you know uh 2022 was a year full of change for a lot of things in this world um you know we're, we're coming uh to the end of figuring out what to do about a a global pandemic that really impacted a lot of people. It, it didn't just impact people, it impacted businesses and uh, it impacted nations. It impacted generations um, in pretty major ways. Um, but it also impacted the show and figuring out where this show was um, towards the end of this was a big, a big change. I already mentioned earlier in this episode, some of the things that we did this year. And uh, if I cry, you know what? I'm told that that's okay by the listeners, actually. Um, but I I wanted to give out some uh, some awards for the show this year. The first award I want to give out is Best Lighting. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll know that uh, lighting is really important to me. And Spencer, me, Heezy, is going to win Best Lighting. It's not close. Um, I have a light here, a light here, and a light overhead, depending on how I want to set up my lighting every week. 
It is not close. This is, listen, you know, I may be the arbiter of these awards, but this one wasn't close. This is... It, it's not. Hands down. <laughs> it's just, it is unbelievable how much better my lighting is than my co-hosts. Um, and to at some points, some one of our co-hosts has to be reminded to even turn on a light. I, I got to mention, Spencer, your lighting on the podcast is absurd. So I agree. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> When I joined, it sounds better that way, Mason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did not think about lighting, and I hate the light. If I had known lighting was a, a part of this, you're the one a, that you joined so we could do a video podcast. This just is a dive, but I wasn't on the camera then. It's a diverging <laughs> time. <laughs> I was in the dark every time when we talked. Oh man, like Nosferatu. <laughs> we, we spoiled this one, but I, I had to give a, a best smile award. You know, it, it's hard to have a smile like on an hour long show or like a 40 minute show every week. But Abe, you managed to keep a, a pretty decent smile. How could I not be having a great time yeah. with my buds? Just just best smile. Absolutely. Abe Stein. I want to give a best guest award. This was actually really hard. We had a lot of really great guests this year. Um, but I actually I don't actually think it was that hard when I thought about it. Like at first I was like, oh, like. I, you know, we had Soul, we had Misplaced Ginger talking about Blackhead, we had so many amazing guests, but th there was one person that just knocked their episode out of the park, and that was Jesse. Uh, just, I actually think that might be one of, if not the best episodes of Constructive Criticism ever. So, had to give a plug there. Um, and I was writing down episodes, but I, I couldn't find this one. Uh, this was episode... Uh, ah, here it is. It is episode 428 was the episode with Jesse. And I'll, I'll have some of these. Uh, I'm going to be doing like a little post on the, the website for this. So people will be able to see these. These will be linked um, through on that as well. So uh, and then I want to do best deep dive. You know, we do different types of deep dives. And typically I would like talk about like a specific format we deep dived on or, or you know, something like this. Uh, but I actually, and, and honestly, th there was kind of, we had two deck deep dives that were really good. However, one of them was way more impactful than the other. Um, R.A.P. Mason's episode on, on Four Color <laughs> for getting banned literally the next week. Uh, but I, I actually want to give it to Misplaced Ginger. Um, we actually got a shout out on uh, the First Strike podcast for that episode. Just kind of around his thoughts around Thoughtseize. Um, and how he uses Thoughtseize to make a bigger impacts in matchups that maybe are hard for him or in individual game states. Um, and I thought it was the best deep dive of the year. Like, we got really in-depth uh, on that one um, and just wanted to give a shout-out to that. Uh, the best series to continue. We started on episode 407 this year was Understanding Control Decks, one of our better constructive criticism episodes We've also done aggro, um, an episode on aggro since then. I thought that was a banger, by the way. I love the aggro episode and doing that one. Absolutely worth going back and listening yeah. to. Yeah. So episode 407 is the first one. That's Understanding Control Decks. That was the first one in this series. Um, but yeah, like uh, we'll continue this series of episodes. We have two of them. We've got quite a few. We actually have a list of, of macro archetypes that we want to cover. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to give a shout out to the best segment this year, which I... Typically would, and I don't mean like individual segments. I actually mean of the show between the wrap-up segment, between the Patreon segment. Like, what is the best segment this year? 
And I think that we had the first time ever that training grounds wouldn't have won, that always improving, always seemed to have something this year that kind of um, impacted that episode in like a real way, like gave actual nuggets to learn. And this was something I talked about with former co-host Matt Klang. He he was like, always improving was always a hard segment for me. Like, I don't feel like I need to, I always improve. And I was like, you know, I, I can see that, but I also have found it to be the, between the three of us that somebody has something during that segment this week that is a banger that like people needed to learn. I really thought that the, that for best segment this year, uh, it absolutely deserved deserved the award. Uh, next, um, most valuable episode. Uh, this is the episode that I think provided the most value to the listeners. And I have How to Win Your 1K, episode 392. Um, this was the, I actually, I'm going to a little behind the curtain. Uh, after that episode, Abe comes to me. He goes, dude, people loved that episode. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> I didn't understand why we were doing it, but it was well received. And I, I think that, uh, it really helped people put in perspective the difference in tournaments for them. Um, and it was really good to have it before the pro tour came back. Um, and also, you know, obviously it provided the most value. We taught them how to win their 1K, guys. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> and then true. Uh, most valuable co-hosts, uh, you know, was a three-man race. You got Abe, you got Heezy, you got Mason. I, I'm i going to give it to Mason this year. And the reason my surprise people... Hey, congrats uh, on the top eight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I think that switching roles... Um, mid-year is really hard. I think that being able to go from hosting the show to not to, to being a co-host as like your main role is difficult. And I think that Mason not only did it with grace, but he made the show better by doing it. Um, And I think that deserves some recognition. So thank you, Mason. No problem. Is this where I give my award speech or, uh, yeah, go for it. Patron only part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but that that is going to do it for the 2022 CCMTG Awards. Um, like I said, I'll post the episodes that won awards. Did, did, did anybody have? Did I miss one? Like one of the bangers that like really should have been in there. I, I hadn't thought about this until just. I want to. I want to give a big <laughs> shout out to uh, to Garrison who came on for the, judges. How to deal with magic judges? One that was. A huge episode, and I think that like uh, if you're anyone who's like getting into playing tournament magic, you should actually go listen to. I felt the best about doing like like my feel good altruism episode. Sure. If I had to pick out the ones I felt the best about doing, that episode was great because awesome. I think that that's that's a big ad for so much the community. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening. We'll see you guys all next time on another episode of Constructed Criticism.